0: Yep. So, to separate that out and go, hey, you don't need to actually talk to someone face to face or shake their hand or um, anything like that. You can just interact with them through a through a pretty uh, pretty screen of light. Mm. I'm like, hang on, what you're taking? And and this is something that's emerged out out of COVID of COVID nineteen is with this further separation as well, which is yeah. I'm seeing as a really strange pattern, but. Anyway, I'm kind of getting in advance of stuff.
1: No, it's fine. I'll leave it in the warm-up stuff. But one of the things I noticed is like, have you tried trying to articulate your point or discuss or even argue through text? It is like the worst way to communicate. And
0: And I have tried that when we, because we, because we, one thing that we like doing is we like talking and debating ideas and big complicated issues. Yeah. But we often find that hey, we actually operate much better face to face because when I text an idea, it's often not clear because yeah. I'm using words, that, I'm using the written word to try and communicate a verbal idea that is emerging as the two of us converse. Yes. Um yeah. Yeah. So no, I to- uh, totally get what you mean.
1: So so when you when you have that, right? Um yeah with you and the girl how do you resolve that do you just you know what just ring her up and just say here's my voice and my tone is very different from what you're perceiving from my typewritten text
0: oh yeah absolutely or 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 i'll drive over to her place and we'll and we'll um go i'll say on our facebook chat going um hey why why don't we save this and talk about it on um on the weekend yeah pretty simple
1: To the Fire in the Desert with myself, Johnny, and Patrick. How are you going?
0: That's cool. Yeah, th- th- thanks for having me jo- uh, back, uh, Johnny. Uh, really good to be back. Any parent
1: will understand the overwhelming need to protect their kids. As I sat in my daughter's hospital room with my husband, Carl, 48, I felt like I failed mine. A little girl, Ava, 12, had been taken in for examination after months of self-harming. A counsellor said Ava had a plan to commit suicide. And alerted us straight away. We spent five hours in the hospital talking to various nurses, doctors, and psychiatrists. All I want to do is protect her, and I can't protect her, Carl choked, echoing my feelings entirely. I can't begin to describe what's it like to hear your child wants to end their life sick, helpless, numb. The reason? She was being viciously bullied on Snapchat. We've become aware Ava had been, was being cyberbullied and bullied face-to-face around seven months prior to landing up in hospital. She was always so bubbly, and it was a drastic change in her behaviour. Our happy girl was now moody and withdrawn. Luckily, Ava was able to talk to us, so we knew this behavioural change was because she was getting a hard time from other kids in her school. They hate me, she told us. Her voice breaking, along with my heart, went through the motions by telling Ava's school and they in turn followed standard procedure and spoke to the kids involved. But it only served to make things worse. Then Ava began self-harming and cuts appeared, snaking up her arms. I was distraught. Ava confided in us the majority of the bullying was happening on the social network Snapchat, which I still don't fully understand. Messages can appear and disappear once you open them. At first, it was messages like Who do you hate most at school, with Ava's name being the answer, but it came more sinister. Why don't you cut your wrists and finish the job? Ava started seeing a counselor about the bullying and self-harm, and I encouraged as much open conversation with her as, as possible. We had to hide anything sharp from her at home and at school, and at school she was given a safety plan to follow. I realized how fortunate I am, my daughter felt able to confide in me. Some parents are not so lucky. The kids carry the shame of what's being said with them. Ava's school did everything by the book, but it's extremely frustrating that it couldn't really do anything at all when it came to other children's actions. Cyberbullying is completely new territory for parents. We had none of this growing up. If you are being bullied at school, you keep away from the bullies as best as you could. You can't hide anywhere online. I made sure Ava wasn't on Snapchat anymore but it didn't stop the other kids using it and laughing at her. One day, someone took a picture of her sitting in class with her legs slightly apart and posted a picture of extremely crude comments about smelling like fish and the sea. My girl was understandably distraught. Ava kept up counselling sessions, which is how we discovered just how low she felt. During one session, she confided she had a suicide plan, and the counsellor immediately notified us. Well, to say our worlds came crushing down is an understatement. We lived through the bullying with Ava, and to hear this about your child is absolutely terrifying. It was hard to try to stay strong for her, but we did. Taking her to hospital and sitting in that room, we thought, how on earth did we end up here? Uh, So that was a story written by Lorna Gregg titled Cyberbullying. My daughter was suicidal because of Snapchat bullying. And, and this uh, article, this uh, uh, story of Ava went viral when her mother posted a picture of Ava in the hospital on Facebook. And then journalists, and media, started asking questions. And the story went around the world. Uh, letters, messages, prayers were all sent to her. Eventually, uh, she got out. Ava started taking martial arts lessons, which helped her feel empowered. And she's now survived the ordeal of online bullying through Snapchat. But there's another unfortunate story of uh, another girl in Australia, a story of a 14-year-old girl named Dolly Everett, who was a model for the Akuba Hat. She was bullied through an online chat, Saraha. So she received messages of inappropriate photos, names, messages of shame. And the bullying was so bad that at one point she sent an email to her parents while she was at school saying, how long do I have to stay? Can I please leave sooner? And... I started to panic because they were ganging up on me and I didn't want to fight, so I walked away. And one of them started screaming at me, calling a dirty and screaming about how I should kill myself and to go cut some more. I think there's a story that needs to be told about social media use. For me, I was fortunate, so I didn't receive my first smartphone until I was mid-20s, so I was in university back then. But, you know, you think about it, I was bullied at school, but I could turn off mindset so i could get some rest because i didn't have any smartphone which chases me around and so when i come home i could to have a break from any of the bullying at school so i can't imagine you know what's it like to be like dolly where they take the phone with them into the home and the bullying from these guys the girls at school continues and continues at home mm. yeah so pat what do you think mate
0: well yeah my heart absolutely breaks like that. You spend five minutes looking at some of these stories at some of the cruelty that's going on in our school today and your heart absolutely breaks into pieces. So, something you said uh, that I'd like to touch on was that Ava's Ava's mother said that what her daughter was experiencing in the schoolyard she had never experienced it. The parents of these kids have not any frame of reference on how to deal with these problems because the nature of bullying has radically changed, whereas it used to be in the schoolyard and then going home was your escape route. You can get through the day, home is safe. Unfortunately, we're looking in a position now where the game has now changed and bullying has changed and it's now it's now infiltrated our technology, and we've invited this technology into our homes. It's in your pocket. <laughs> it's in it's it's in your pocket. It's yeah. there twenty four seven. You can't you can't just switch it off because it continue. You you can switch off your phone, but the moment you turn it back on, you'll have all those messages, all those taunts, all this vile vile stuff that children are able to come up with, and it's there waiting for you. And you ima- you can imagine. That going through the mind of a child who is still developing uh, mentally and emotionally in how to deal with deal with some pretty horrendous, I'd go so far as to say evil stuff that humans are capable of, young humans, children are capable of, when they realise that they're on their phone, it's all all there waiting for them. And once once that dawns on they go, there's no escape. I can be at the schoolyard, I can be at home... It doesn't matter. These people are there 24-7.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not just bullying me, like bullying now, the notifications can bleep right next to you and you feel the vibration in your pants. It's like, you know, I'm we're working from home, right? Because of COVID-19 right now. And the fact that I have my phone on me all the time means that work essentially never stops. And like, I'm working from home, And it's very hard for me to switch off my mind because, you know, from the office I used to work and then driving home I transitioned my mind to home time. Now it's like working from home all the time and then uh, we we meet using um, a secured phone app to... And then it's like now that's also sending me work stuff. Like, I I don't get to switch off my mind. So, like, if that's how I'm feeling with work, which is sort of not... Yeah, it doesn't involve high stress from bullying but you know medium stress like how worse can it be with these kids who, who this is the entire world and this is now Well, this for a, te- for a temporary period with isolation is all you can do to interact with people outside
0: your home yeah mm. comes down to the technology it's a change it's a it's a very change and altered landscape and i can i totally feel it for parents today because how in the world do we deal with these new realities, this new tech, this new technology, and I'm speaking as a mid, as someone who's in their mid twenties, who's grown up seeing this explosion of technology, and I'm probably at the tail end of the digital of that digital native sort of um, sort of experience. How in the world do we deal with this? Where we've got these new, so we've got Snapchat, we've got uh, the Sahara app that you mentioned before, these new ones popping up faster than you can count them. Yeah. And you go, how in the how in the world do you keep up?
1: Mm. Oh well, we'll we'll come into that one because you just like remind me like you know a new app coming up. It's like TikTok. What the heck is TikTok? And like, oh, okay, he's making this. Oh, don't even get me started. Oh <laughs> well, I need to talk about it because leading on to below is you know, why are we talking about this and. It's, it's it's inspired because I was reading a, a book called A Coddling of American Mind by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt, oh, yeah. which addresses some of the anti-intellectual and anti-free speech mentality on campus. And it used to be that students would invite as many speakers as they want to because they want to hear from them, right? They want to hear the message. And the college administrators would be censoring them or you know banning the speakers. But now there's a change because now it's... the the students demanding the banning of speakers rather than this being led by the college administrators. Mm. So students are now de- demanding protections. They want, you know, safe spaces and they want to ban speakers because of, you know, hate speech. And, and this is like, universities to be a time where you can cultivate free speech and grow, to, grow your perspective and horizons. And you get to argue, you know, from if you wanted the old discussion paper that we had to do in mm-hmm. high school, you know, discuss meant... You look at both sides and now it's more choose one side. And one of the things that they looked at was the impact of social media, that it is now encouraging this sort of one side only mind, like, you know, I am on this team and I, and if you're on the opposite team, you are the villain, you are the outside of my group.
0: This, this is my tribe, this is my community. Mm, yeah. Yeah a uh, small anecdote anecdote about that actually about um college campuses is um are you, you are you familiar with a guy named Thomas Sowell he's an economist yes i do yeah i was listening to a uh, discussion uh he was giving and he was telling talking about a bit of his, his university days his experience did you know he was well he described himself as a marxist socialist yeah he, during his w- he university was days? and then
1: yeah he i think he he tried to do the st- the the research in the and he couldn't prove the facts that like the facts didn't line up with his thoughts. so yeah. like, oh. And then eventually he studied under Milton Freeman, I think, in Chicago. Yeah.
0: He went to a conservative, a right leaning university. And his, this is completely counter to the experience you get today. His conservative university lecturers welcomed him in with open arms because they saw him as someone who was very intelligent and was willing to engage with and debate. These sort of issues in a shared uh, topic that they were both both deeply fascinated and invested in. Yeah. So he would bring his ex- his extreme left wing ideas. They would bring his, they would bring their right leaning ideas on the topic of economics into the classroom, and they would hash it out on the debating floor. I fi- um, I, and I find that that back and forth very very compelling and very and I think that's where that's that's where universities shine because. Imagine being a fly on the wall in that debate, that conversation, this argument left and right, back and forth on these ideologies. Imagine the students sitting in that room, learning to critically think about a topic from both sides, getting getting two different alternating perspectives mm-hmm. and going, hmm, which one actually stands up on its own two feet and has merit?
1: Yeah. It's funny when you mention about Thomas Sowell at... Um... At Chicago University because the mm. Chicago University has a free speech statement which says that this is the place that thoughts and ideas are discussed freely and that they encourage this so that they can produce better students. You yeah. can find the Chicago statement online. But yeah, it's mm. like university. You meant to do this and now like these young kids are like nah. And and one of the things that explain this is the proliferation of social media. And then, not only that, like coronavirus is forcing us to use you know stuff like Zoom, yeah, Zoom as Zoom University and all that kind of stuff. We're using a lot of social media apps. Uh, we're starting to chat in our groups in our little so- social circles. And I think yeah, from from one side I've observed is that we had a little meme Facebook group, and then it started off really you know well because we all got bored. But one thing I noticed is that people were memeing to get reactions. And people, you know, like the whole thing, like LOL, it's like, and you, and you see the person type it up, but they don't make an expression. Like, that's more like a, I'm going to give you some kind of validation, but I don't really express it kind of thing. It's yeah. like, I'm not really laughing out loud in, at home, of you know, course. rolling on the ground or, ro- or ruffle. Yeah. It's it, it's like, you know, you see that pop up and you go, oh, okay. That's what I'm seeing. It's like the the, the people in our social group were just chucking little, you know, haha memes or like memes, but... It, they were doing it just to support that person in terms of well I, I like you as a person so i'm going to give you this but you know mm. with about the content that the person delivered it wasn't that great at least that's how i yeah. felt yeah and it, and it became a competition this this reaction thing between uh i guess two girls within within a little chat group and it was like they were like bragging about how many reactions they were getting and then like one guy said hey i just noticed this other person that you're competing against is liked her own reactions just to boost that count so it's <laughs> just so cringe it's like uh, oh my gosh um yeah and then uh the other one yeah tiktok that we talked about which is just basically this, i guess what, what do you call it it's like a video app which you put on video on onto your onto your onto your app on the phone and, and you just you know go through video by video by video, oh, um, yeah. And, and they actually said, you know what? We, we actually admit that we call this thing a time wasting act. Essentially, yeah, that's what it <laughs> that's what it is. That, that's the first thing they I'm, use I, to describe it.
0: Oh, I'm I'm surprised at the number of games that you can download that are, that self title themselves as idle, an idle game, yeah. idle as in the game literally plays itself. You just download the phone and then you surface level interact while the game runs itself
1: wait surface react surface interact as in what so
0: you'll click a button for example and then the game will automatically run itself from there on out so are you making any decisions anything on that surface level decisions like for example do you upgrade do you upgrade your hotel to have um a spa or a pool sort of thing yeah but the game then, but the, all the other, I guess, active decisions are taken out of your hands, and the game just runs itself. You know, it is, it's, it, and it's, uh, and it's not just one or two; it's an entire, it's an entire subgenre that's emerged. And I, I, I tried one. I was like, well, let's give it a try, see what it is. And when this is pretty boring, I'm like, you can't even do anything. <laughs> but you know, that that runs completely counter to the idea of what a game was supposed to be. That there was. There are rules that you then interact with, and you interact either with another player or with the sometimes with the, now with the computer's AI, yeah. uh, and you then you then take an active role in the activity. Yeah. But now it's oh we don't we don't we don't need your active participation. We just need you to download the app and open it up and look at the screen, and then that's enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, to- it's totally bizarre. that's not a game
1: anyway uh, so reading the book and looking at the situation I think this talk about social media and its applications and doing a deep dive on it is very timely because uh, I guess it it raises the question you know where do we get our self-worth from because what we're seeing is a lot of people getting self-worth self-value you know the reactions the likes from these apps and we weren't designed like that we weren't wired like that so what's the impact? Yeah. Uh, so in Jonathan Haidt's book, so they're calling the American mind and the and I'll be looking at some Australian statistics. So the first thing is that it is from his book, so from Haidt's book and Luciano's book, social media, it is one of the six explanatory threads of understanding how we are creating fragile minds. So it is emotional thinking versus critical thinking, right? So we're looking at more the emotional side the echo chamber that we can, you know, go into our own little groups and just be validated and, you know, reinforce our viewpoints so much in that echo chamber that when we actually listen to a different point of view, we're like, oh my gosh, you know, that is so offensive. And we end up doing these demanding of censorship. We demand um, higher authority to protect us. It's like, really, you growing up, that's when you're supposed to... Your teenage rebellion thing that I want to be my own self, but it's now it's like I want to be protected by you guys you know I'm so f- I don't know snowflake is can you say that now you know being fragile uh we, we view no, things no'm
0: I'm, I'm, I'm triggered by that statement oh, you' are such a snowflake
1: <laughs> uh, now I'm going to get banned um we we view things and we view reality in black and white or good and evil like it, it's it's that we can draw that hard line. You know, that's what the movies, that's what social media teaches us about. And you know what? When we talk to even some of the, you know, if you talk to prison, people in prison or the criminals and you look at their history, like you see, you know, maybe they had a bad childhood and they had some bad luck trying to get a job. It's gray. It's not black and white, you know, like the Disney movies or the Harry Potter films. It's, it's, it's gray. Real life is gray. Like I have a good side to me and I have a bad side to me. I'm not all good which is what, or I'm not all evil, or that person over there who's outside my group is all evil. The other part is the rise in mental health issues, and they can find a link with social media. So the first part is the, the rise in adolescent anxiety and depression from around 2011. And uh, I'll, I'll read a little extract in here. And, and this, this, this technology affects those who are born between 1995 and 2012. They grew up with this technology. This is the normal thing expected. And like me uh, and yourself, Pat, we were born before this. We are old.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, but I would say that I'd be happy to extend that 1995 just a couple years uh, in, and I essentially, I would then get roped into that. Yeah. Uh, But
1: for me, it's like, you know, I grew up the chalkboard. uh, Our computers are slow. And so, for me to socialize, I actually meet people face to face and, you know, team sport. And didn't really is get it, into phones until like university time, and that was, you know, I was yeah. doing engineering, so this is like, oh, I'm learning about this as I'm going along. But I've developed that social skills.
0: Well, this is this is gonna date me, but um, <laughs> our, our, when our, I, no, I can, I can remember um, getting our first desktop. My dad brought it in, and uh, uh, having a, having to learn how to use set up the dial up internet. So. Yeah. That granted that that't that didn't, that didn't last too long but um, I, d- I do have distinct memories of that. Also it's also also a reflection of how, of how quickly technology has uh, developed and uh, grown over the years as well.
1: but yeah so from from uh, Hay and book it goes but Facebook and other social media platforms didn't really draw many middle school students until after the iPhone was introduced in 2007 and was widely adopted over the next few years. It's best then to think about the entire period from 2007 to roughly 2012, as a brief span in which the social life of the average American teen changed substantially. Social media platforms proliferated. Adolescents began using Twitter, 2006, Tumblr, 2007, Instagram, 2010, Snapchat, 2011, and a variety of others. The book quotes Sean Parker, he was a uh, first president of Facebook, and he was doing an interview in 2017 and explains the early years of developing Facebook. So he says, the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And that means we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo, or a post, or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content, and that's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with, because you are exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. And then Parker ends with, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. So the the designer of these apps... You know, they're taking the computer hacker kind of model and exploiting it to effect, essentially get you as the consumer to produce more content because that's how Facebook grows because the content and its value comes from you as a contributor. And how to do it? Because, well, we're going to give you these little psychological dopamine hits to make you feel good. And then you're going to get, you're going to feel compelled to post more of yourself, more photos, make some comment make a post
0: yeah it's
1: it, it's terrifying
0: i hadn't heard this uh quote before i'd never thought of social media or facebook essentially developed by computer programmers developers hackers to to try and manipulate or hack the the human mind to find a vulnerability and ne- i'd never thought of it in that context before
1: <laughs> you're a computer
0: programmer <laughs> I, I know I know and it, and I'm going, hang on, he's right, he's he's completely right. Ugh. And you got this tail end comment of going, hey, we'll just give this to our kids and give them unfettered access. What's the worst that could happen? Well, yeah, and like
1: these things are free, right? But what does it mean? It means you're not the customer. The customer is mm. advertising companies, you know, who give the money to you know things like Facebook and Snapchat to post ads, and they're getting the data from you because you're. Being getting these dopamine hits and posting more content and revealing more about yourself, mm. you know, like this, it's a bit weird about this privacy things. that, like, well, no, now you're compelled or you psychology psychologically manipulated to reveal more about yourself privately. Yeah, you, you're being exploited.
0: Well, one of the arguments for the uh, the COVID app that the uh, government released, I don't think it's a great argument for the, to download the app, but it's an argument they made was you've already signed away more information. You've already signed away more information to Facebook than anything that the app is tr- going to try and ask you to collect. Yeah, not a great, not necessarily a great argument to go and download another app to start giving more away information. But it's a very sobering thought when you stop and realize: going, hang on, Facebook knows my name, they know my email address, my phone, my date of birth, family, friends. They have my photos. Go, and the list keeps on going on and on and on. They've built. A wonderful digital profile of you, and you've given it away for free. Yeah. All right. So,
1: continuing the book, there's a, a few graphs that the book puts out, and you have to go onto the web to actually access and look at these photos, but we'll describe it for you. So, the first one's called Adolescent Depression Rates. The y axis is percentage. And then from the x axis, this goes from timeline from 2004 to 2016. And there's a line between male and female, and the sources the National Survey on Drug in Use and Health. So it's percent adolescents aged 12 to 17 who had at least one major depressive episode in the past year. And it goes, rates have been rising since 2011. So if you look at the line, it goes, uh, for the males, it hovers around a 5% mark. Yeah. And it, it sort of curves up towards uh, past 2016. And then for the girls, it's slightly ho- so it, Well, it's... 12% higher, what? so 12% compared to the boys, 5%, but at 12, 2012, 2011, and there's this, there's a spike, there's a spike, of. I'm trying to figure out, what is it, it's about 8% jump,
0: mm, goes yeah. to about 17, 18%, yeah, yeah. and yeah. the boys is like, and, ke- yeah. and keeps going, Yeah. and keeps so going higher as well after that,
1: it impacts the girls more. Mm. And then the next one below is adolescent suicide rates per 100,000. So suicide rate per 100,000, age 15 to 19. And there's a, yeah, again, it's a little rise from the 2011 period onwards. And that's from the CDC fatal injury reports between 1996, uh, sorry, 1999 to 2016. Mm. So that's America. So what does it look like in Australia? So there's 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 a program called... National program called Mindframe, uh, which supports safe media reporting, uh, portrayal, and communications about suicide, mental health, ill health, and alcohol and other drugs. And it's using the Australian Bureau of Statistics from 2018. Now, you can look at it right now, and it goes age 15 to 19. Yep, I can see a little... It's it's definitely risen compared to 1989. Yeah, so 2011 goes boop, goes this huge blip and then it keeps rising for both genders. And then it goes average from f- to five year trend so that little graph in the top right corner. 2014 2018 on the average, it's increasing suicide rate per 100,000.
0: An interesting trend I'm seeing here though also is that the suicide rate back in uh is that ni- did it start at 1980 1989? It starts in 1989. Was, it
1: goes it yeah. goes relatively high for the boys.
0: It was around 18-19% at 1989. It was going down. Yeah, it goes down so to two thousand four was its lowest,
1: and it's going back
0: up. The trend was going down. Yeah, and I'd argue, uh, iPhone became popular around two thousand seven. So between two thousand four two thousand seven, it then gone back. It then gone back up and hasn't stopped.
1: What well, is this surge in two thousand twelve? Same as the girls, except it's in 2011 as well, which is what the book was saying. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, whereas in girls back in 1989, it was like, what, 1%? Yeah. And it hovers between 1% to 5%. Yeah.
0: We can look at stats, and all all it's doing is pointing out there are patterns, there are trends that we can then comment on. Mm -hmm. And from purely looking at these stats, you can't draw conclusions of, oh, I see this stat, so thus that means I could extrapolate this meaning. But... It is a concerning, a concerning and concerning an interesting pattern and trend that we that we can observe looking at this looking at this graph and going. Hang on, we've introduced this technology and in, we've invited it in, and in the between in the early two, in the early two thousands and going onwards, and we can now see the suicide rates increasing. Yeah. Ever since.
1: Yeah. So that's statistics. Right, and mm-hmm. you can prove anything with you know statistics. You can manipulate the data, right? Yeah. So that's one data point, and actually the book affirms this. You know, like this is one data point, and the correlation doesn't mean causation. So, so yeah. just because there's there's more production of ice cream nowadays compared to back then, and there's also there's more car accidents, doesn't mean that eating ice cream causes accidents. The book references a, a book called iGen by Jean Twenge, who's a social psychologist from San Diego State University. Mm-hmm. And she correlates the activities of those young students that have depression and suicide. What activities would tend to increase depression suicide and what activities decrease? So we'll go through the two that increases, which is one, electronic device use, that is smartphone, tablet or computer, and a second was T V. Now, compare that to the activities that decrease likelihood of suicide and depression. One, sports and exercise. Two, religious services. Three, reading books or print media. Four, in-person social interactions. And five, doing homework. (laughs) Um, The last (laughs) bit, yeah. I don't know about that. But notice the first two, increase uh, probability of suicide and depression. It's all electronic. It's all essentially screen time, which uh, which is what they're calling the American mile. was looking at screen yeah. time. It's
0: the it's the it's the ubiquitous technology that's that's emerged in.
1: Yeah. So the Australian government in 2015 assessed those kids with internet or electronic gaming behaviour problems amongst the 11 to 17 year population by male and female. For both genders, if you had a problem with internet or electronic devices but no other mental health issues, you average around a 3%. But for those with major depressive disorders, it jumps to 11.5% for males and 13.7% for females. So those with mental health issues are three to four times more likely to also have internet or electronic gaming problems. Or you could say that amongst the children who are mentally vulnerable or currently experiencing mental health issues, their internet or electronic gaming problems unlikely one of the behaviors they face
0: it's important to stress they're one of the issues yeah
1: so so this is the second data point that we're talking about right so yeah if the first part is there's a trend between when these technologies uh, in the years they come out with and there's an increase in depression and suicide the, the second data point is that if you had a mental health issue ages 11 to 17 problem internet or gaming behaviors use was also one of the key factors that popped up in your diagnosis mental depressive disorder uh so so what is this so the the book also tells us you know it's increasing antisocial behavior through the use of these social media apps. so it takes away us takes us away from face-to-face human interaction that's a that's a mm. duh but like humans are ultra social species. So it's not like, you know, dogs and chimps where they can like, you know, go in a little tribe. Like we actually need a bit more sophistication than just smelling each other or just, you know, hanging around <laughs> each other. We need to engage. We need to talk. You know, we might have disagree. Um, we work in teams. We love team sport. We are unified as a body. And so face-to-face interaction, it fulfills this sense in us of tribalism. But when there's disagreements, then we learn how to interact uh, without, you know, going to the extreme of being overly defensive or violent, right? So social media allows us the creation of these tribes, but what is absent is the face-to-face interaction with these people. Because I don't see your facial expression when we disagree about something, right? We, we, you know, someone types all in capital, you think it, they're angry, but maybe they they've made a mistake. But you don't actually know how to tone your or regulate your own emotions when you're talking to person through texting on on the phones. Yeah, right? so you're actually developing these low sociable people. It, it's not harmful if you if you already know the skills of how to socialize in, with with other people. So, but those people who have who are not as extroverted or know how to have the skills of socializing with other people. If they're they're low, then social media really impacts their mental health.
0: Well, Johnny, we're we're dealing with children here who are (laughs) learning in the school environment, interacting with people the same age as them, who are all learning how to develop these skills both emotionally, mentally, socially, They're learning these skills. So by injecting social media into this complicated mix, what we're seeing is going, hey, we're changing how we interact and communicate on a day-to-day basis. We're not able to build those foundational skills at the start so that you can then interact in the social media landscape. It's some kind of twisted amalgamation of the two together. As we were talking before, we're seeing these problems now emerge. Yeah, and we can track them. We go. Hang on a second. I'm detecting a pattern, a trend here going along. What's the new stuff that we've just added in? Mm. But you don't have these foundation, these core foundational skills that you've gone in and developed and built up over a period of years, so that you're then capable of going into social media and interacting and go and knowing that oh, when someone uses all caps, that doesn't necessarily mean they're shouting. It, As you said, it might be a mistake. Give that scenario to a child. They're not going to be able to rationalize the same way because they don't have those skills yet.
1: Yeah, and, and it's really weird because now like schools are actually encouraging you. Like you, you know, you need to have this iPad to go to this course. It's like, and we'll go later on to this one, but it's, you're, you're rewiring how people interact.
0: Yeah, uh, that, that, that's a good, that's a good point actually.
1: Social media can be a force for good in times of isolation. It certainly helped Patrick and myself to connect under coronavirus quarantine conditions and find little social circles to keep in touch. It lets me reach out quickly and conveniently with my friends overseas. But we've heard about the darker side, particularly when it ends up in the hands of children, especially girls. The data we saw is that it drastically affects girls more than boys. The data also shows that those who are mentally vulnerable are likely to develop internet or electronic gaming problems. It's also interesting to note that tech giants have taken a psychological hacking approach to encourage addictive behaviour through positive reinforcing you to post pictures and comments online. As we heard, it's creating a dopamine loop, and God help us, it's rewiring our children's brains. It leads to the question, why does it affect girls more? So, the other bit that the book also mentions is the impact on girls. So, boys, you know, if we disagree, we'll, you know, rough and tumble and, you know, push each other. We interact physically. Girls have a different way of interacting. So, how impacts girls? There's two main areas. One is that social media presents a curated or tailored version of yourself. So, just a good side of yourself on Instagram and Snapchat, you know, those photos... It's just like, you know, you're at the beach, you're doing a gym workout, you have whatever puppy filters or whatever makes you more beautiful. It's more, it artificially beautifies yourself with these with these apps, right?
0: It's feeding the emotional quantity there.
1: Yeah, well, it's that sort of makes you more self-conscious for these girls mm-hmm. because now, like, oh, this girl's more pretty. But then like, you know, she's not that because all she's done is put some, she's, she's done the color or she's put a little something on that hides something using the, the software on the phone. Girls' lies revolve around inclusion and exclusion. So there's a thing called fear of missing out or being left out. Right? And we talked about the tribalism that these social media groups can create. So girls and boys show aggression in different ways. So girls show aggression through relations rather than physical. So they hurt fellow girls through relationship, their reputation, and social status, which causes the girls to fear of being left out. So why is this even worse? Well, social media means that this is all centralized into a little small device on your phone and that if your little girl comes back from school and she's bullied, she doesn't get to switch it off after leaving school. She comes home, she still gets to pop notifications and messages, she's still being bullied at home. There's a little graph there, it's you know, higher education research institute and you can clearly see that uh, for guys, the the rise in depression amongst college students is you know a lower grading compared to girls, which this mm. is steep. This yeah. hockey stick rise, you know, uh, girls uh, go up to fourteen percent compared to guys, which are only about six percent. And if I go into Australia and it talks about uh, the top three psychological psychosocial factors associated with suicide for those aged under twenty five. Uh, in the twenty five years in the year twenty seventeen you see the the factors for 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 guys it's personal history of self harm disruption of family by separation and divorce problems in relationship with spouse and partner for girls it's personal history of self harm disruption disruption of family by separation and divorce and uh, that one in nine point nine percent is bullying that that is the only one which i've found. Amongst age groups, it only occurs for females under the age of twenty five in the year of twenty seventeen. What I also want to point out is that social media developers and their tech giant executives do not permit the kids to use these texts. So the first one is uh, we've heard from before. So the face president of Facebook, they comment about how it developed the you know, that dopamine loop. Mm. The second one is uh, one by is, you know, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. uh, There's also this other Google president. And I'll read this article. It goes, In 2007, Gates, the former CEO of Microsoft, implemented a cap on screen time when his daughter started developing an unhealthy attachment to video game. He also didn't let his kids get cell phones until they turned 14. Jobs, who was a CEO of Apple until his death in 2012, revealed in a 2011 New York Times interview, prohibited his kids from using the newly released iPad. We limit how much technology our kids use at home, Jobs told reporter Nick Bilton. In a recent interview on Cheddar, iPod co-creator Tony Fadell speculated if Steve Jobs were alive today, he'd want to address growing societal concerns about tech addiction. He'd say, hey, we need to do something about it, Fadell said. So other techies like Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel, and Google Sundar Pinkai limit their kids' screen time. Spiegel and his wife Miranda Kerr impose an hour and a half of screen time per week on their kids. He told the Financial Times, Young people use Snapchat more often than any other social media platform according to a 2018 Pew Research Center survey. Pinkai told the New York Times his 11-year-old son does not have a cell phone and he keeps the television away to limit its use. Plus, current Apple CEO Tim Cook and Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella have spoken out against tech overuse amongst children. That's at the average school at least, according to the co-authors. A number of specialty Silicon Valley schools, such as the Waldorf School in Mountain View, are noticeably low-tech. They use chalkboards and number-two pencils. Instead of learning how to code, kids are taught the soft skills of cooperation and respect. At Brightworks School in San Francisco, kids learn creativity by building things and attending classes in treehouses. Some low-income schools, meanwhile, have increased their tech usage to help solve for teacher shortage problems. Parents said a Mark Zuckerberg-funded web-based teaching platform caused physical and mental ailments, the New York Times reported. Uh, The other article, yeah. It's called Apple CEO Tim Cook don't let your Kids use social media by zamima major so it's it's really interesting that the developers of these apps are discouraging their own kids uh, from using these technologies, but at the same time they're like you know like you know Mark zuckerberg's funding this this um this education program, and the low income schools are using this technology so there's a definitely a gap between the, the tech people and the low-income people and how the teaching is being used and how this technology is implemented and a proliferation of it. Oh.
0: I think it's fair to mention here also that Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, they are, their job in the world is not to provide parenting rules or foundations for kids. They're there to make a product, to sell, to make money. That's their purpose in the world, essentially, right? Yep. It's then our responsibility to then, if we've got kids, to set up these rules of how we interact and how we engage. I'd say a good example would be take a car, for example. Are the car manufacturers responsible for when someone gets behind the wheel when they're incapacitated and they have an accident and they crash the car? Are they responsible? No, of course not. It's the individual person who is using the car inappropriately and they have then caused harm. To themselves for example yeah that's not ignoring the or saying oh there's not a problem here there is a problem here i think that from this conversation we've we're discovering that yes there are some, some very deep-seated issues here but it's not the responsibility of these guys to make the product kid-friendly mm. there are things out there that are designed for adults yeah um, for
1: people who are mature who are these guys accountable? The shareholder. So they just want people to sell the sell a product, but they're also giving this warning. They're saying, "Hey, you probably don't want to let your kids use this stuff because it's probably addictive and not good for developing their the kids." Was it going going through childhood? Uh, there's a sort of like a hypocrisy kind of thing that's
0: coming out. I think the Mark Zuckerberg story of him or Facebook creating these programs for te- for schools. I think that is something where we can go. We can stop and go hang on, no, that's not a good idea. That shouldn't be there. Mm. And the schools should be stepping up and going, hang on, we're looking at some... We've, we've done a bit of research here. We're looking at the lives of our kids. This stuff is not healthy for, the, for a young developing mind. Sorry, Mark Zuckerberg, we're, we're going to have to say no. We're right. going to have to find another solution to solve, solve the problem. Yeah. But all the other tech giants here that we were talking about, they're all saying, "Hey, we're establishing as parents, we're establishing boundaries for our kids."
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had a chat uh, actually this morning at work with uh, a lady who's who has a, their kid, and you know, even if you restrict it from your kid's side, right? Mm. There's a we talk about that fear of missing out. So her friends would might still be talking behind her back. So you need to have a wider strategy that is not you know talking to the parents of her. F- her friends and saying hey this is what we come up with we think we should you should also do this so that the social circle of our kids isn't being infected with this social media stuff and not only that but the school needs to also have some kind of impact as well
0: yeah this is not this one magic pill will solve all of the problems associated with this issue this is a very big complicated issue and we're only touching a bit of the tip of the iceberg yeah sort of scenario here in regards to this you're right. If we're going to try as a group as a society of people, if we're going to try and start to solve some of these issues that we've let in into our kids' lives, this is going to take individual parents, groups of parents, families, uh the schools to start coming back together and going, "Okay, we need to solve, we need to be start solving some of these problems that we've created for ourselves."
1: Yeah. And not only that, there's a problem with it when the government and school programs mandate that the parents buy iPads for their kids, right? Oh, yes. Because the, the education lesson or whatever video
0: is only accessible on this iPad or this app. I dodged a bullet because the, I think it was the year after I graduated year 12, my uh, high school enacted that policy. And uh, my younger brother got, he got all of his textbooks, textbooks that I had had converted over to ipad so they were exclusively latest edition for that textbook was now only accessible on the ipad i
1: mean yeah it's good because now i don't want to carry all these stupid books and break my back when a oh i was doing like what matt's physics and
0: all that. there is i did some research actually at university because I, I i love the the physical real book mm-hmm. even as an it guy someone who builds and designs websites and lives and breathes code and everything i absolutely love the physical book the opening up the covers and flipping through and reading something that's tangible and physical and real in my hands when you're learning when you're trying to read information to absorb that information into your head there's something very different between reading something that is tangibly printed in front of you with paper and ink and pixels on a screen Hmm. Uh, from from the research I was doing, uh, I did back in my university days. I interviewed a number of different university students and a few different and a few different people to try and gather this information. And one of the trends that I picked up on was when you're online, when you're reading a digital screen, you're skim reading. Yeah. You're not reading every single word. Your your eyes glancing, glancing across the page, trying to absorb the information a little bit quicker so you can scroll down. Yeah. But when you've got the physical book in front of you and the words are printed on a page, your eyes are going over line by line reading it. And that's, and that's a skill that is developed over a number of years. I can remember spending copious hours at the school library being encouraged to pick up books and read them. Today in school, we're not getting that at all we're being encouraged to go online and go and go to the go to the ebooks go to the iPads yeah to get your reading so we're not even l- teaching children these fundamental skills to enable them to exist in a digital world uh, mm-hmm. and handle the digital world we're not even teaching those fundamental skills that will enable them to survive we're just going here have an iPad
1: yeah if it doesn't pop on google then don't bother researching it when you should be going to the library going look at journals and that kind of stuff oh yeah um yeah unfortunately this is the next generation growing up thinking this is norm yeah i mean i've had to set these uh computers and devices to have the was it the night light kind of thing so it dims down the 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 backlight because otherwise i end up destroying my brain or destroying my mind thinking that it's still daytime and then i end up like until three o'clock in the morning thinking, it, yeah, the light triggers my brain and it tricks it into thinking it's still daytime so I can still keep working when I should be yeah. getting a good night's sleep.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's highly ironic that these tech giants or these technology companies in Silicon Valley, they released all these devices out into the wild, out to their consumer base and said, here, buy this phone. And then a couple of years later, they then go, we've just released an up, a software update patch We've got a new feature for the screen that makes the screen more yellow when it goes into evening so that it makes it it's healthier for your eyes. Well, My my first question was, mm-hmm. well, hang on, the last couple of years I've been using your devices, What what's your device been doing to my eyes? Yeah, so I think one of the takeaways here is that social media is here now. It's not going to just magically go away or we can ignore it or we can put it back in, in a box. Pandora's box has been opened and it's a reality now in the lives of our kids. It's inescapable. However, we're going to need to learn how to manage it and teach the next generation skills and strategies on how to manage the peer pressure that's there now to use this technology, to engage with this technology. And if the schools, if they're going to sidestep and go, we're going to embrace this technology further and not bother teaching these fundamental skills, physical skills, emotional skills, social skills, we're going to have to teach it it to the next generation ourselves I think if we stop and think about what what the technology is doing to to this next generation, to our kids, are they really happy and more connected for it? Facebook's big press events, they often tout the word of, we're bringing the world together, we're more connected. I'd question that. Imagine swapping social media out with binge-watching Netflix. You can get it through your computer, your iPad, your phone, exactly the same way as Facebook and Snapchat. Imagine the problem that we're facing is that Our kids are continually binge-watching Netflix all day long, at school and into the evening. Would you tell me that everything is still fine? And as a closing thought, I'd have to ask where parents are not after the tragedies occurred, but in the months and years leading up to this. We need to be setting a pattern and behaviour for our kids, for the next generation, to look to and follow in our footsteps.
1: People working in tech recognize the dangers of social media and electronic gaming amongst their own children and place parental barriers between their kids and their own products. Yet, they also encourage development of technology to assist with education amongst low-income areas, whilst encouraging their own children to return back to the environment without using technology. Why is there such a difference? Why do people who know best and develop these technologies withhold their own kids whilst letting other kids experience the darker side of technology? There's a discussion that's not taking place. Social media creates these little tribes that exist without the need to be physically present. Children can bring home the bullying from the school. It also degrades our social skills since we're not seeing the emotions on a person's face and we're not regulating our own emotions. Instead, it encourages more brazen behavior that is reinforced through dopamine hits. And it's much more discussion to be had. If this one discussion you need to take away is how you are regulating your own screen time, and your children's screen time well that's it for today's episode on the fire in the desert you can reach us on the, fire in the at gmail.com or twitter at fire in the desert if you like this episode and want to hear more please like subscribe and put a rating and share this podcast with your friends every bit of support helps us with the mission music is out Foxing the fox by kevin mcleod at incometech.com and thank you for listening to the fire in the desert we'll see you guys next time